Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is powered by TD Ameritrade. Whether on the course or in the market, it helps to have a second set of eyes to keep you on your game. That's why TD Ameritrade's Trade Desk is here to help gut check your strategies so you always feel confident teeing up a trade. Visit tdameritrade.com slash fried egg to learn more about what their trade desk can do for you. Member SIPC. We are back with another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today, I am joined by 2019 U.S. Mid-Am champ, Lucas Michel. Uh, Lucas is an Australian. He's the first international player to win the U.S. Mid-Am. Uh, he won it last week out at Colorado Golf Club. He uh, is from Perth originally, but went to school in Melbourne. And uh, we get a little bit on Lucas's uh, background is uh, how he got into golf and how he got to the U.S. to play the Mid-Am and uh, his plans for the next year, as well as a little bit on the Mid-Am. Enjoy the episode. Lucas is a golf course architecture nut. In fact, he's now texting me pictures of a uh, seaside course that he found in Perth, uh, Sand Greens. He's, he's definitely, he's just a golf tragic. So, it's a, it, a interesting conversation and uh, really looking forward to seeing Lucas play uh, the next year on TV in the U.S. Uh, Am U- Masters and uh, U.S. Open. So without further ado, here is Lucas Michel. The fried egg requires a different technique. What you need to do is actually square the face so it'll dig down underneath that bad lie and propel that ball right out onto the green. Here's the thing, playing out of a buried lie in a bunker is completely different than playing out of a nice, clean lie in a greenside bunker. You need to be aggressive on any shot, whether it's sitting cleanly or it's a uh, fried egg. Well, we've all faced it, the dreaded fried egg. It's not to be feared, though. It's actually a pretty easy shot to hit. best am events are like the invites at clubs like yeah the, you know yeah that's so yeah true. and like i've seen like i've obviously played a few of them now and like i thought the northeast am was probably as good as it gets really i mean that course is awesome one of my set and then like the the, talk, the club runs it perfectly and they, they get in there like i think they get in the um where is it rhode island yeah the rhode island state golf association comes in and kind of does the rules and stuff like that but the club still runs the tournament mm-hmm. properly and you know they just they take they take ownership of it and they yeah they just do it right how how did you like what so like what made you start playing stuff like uh northeast am wanna moisa like traveling over the us mm. to play mm. i um well I, I finished my studies at uni in end of 2017 i'd never been to the US to play golf, but I'd always kind of gone around and played top level amateur stuff, you know, through, you know, Europe and the UK and, and, and I don't know, I I had a pretty keen interest in it all in, in playing good courses and playing competition golf. So I sort of started out, I guess, I mean, as a junior, you play competition golf and then I kind of got old enough that I'd, kind of get into some big events um, back home. And then at some point you start wanting to, to travel overseas. So 
my first sort of big ones were when I traveled to the UK and played uh, the Dutch amateur at a course called Eindhoven, which is like a, a good Harry Colt course. There's actually a bunch of really good Harry Colt courses in, in the Netherlands. Um, yeah. Then I played the Walton Heath Trophy, which is, um, I think it's Herbert Fowler, Walton Heath, but it's like great, great old school architecture, really early golden age. So it's like kind of got, Kind of, it's a bit rougher around the edges in terms of like the shaping and stuff like that. So it's that's really cool to see. And then I played like the north of Scotland. I think that was at a course called Lossie Mow. Um, actually, it's called Moray Golf Club, but it's in Lossie Mow. And then I kind of just started traveling around and really enjoyed the, I guess, the element of playing really good courses and really good tournaments. I, and then I, I sort of, that was on the way to it an exchange uh, for my university degree where I did six months in St Andrews. So that was, I guess, the start of a bit more love for uh, Lynx golf and all that. So That that had to be yeah. cool, get the exchange, get to go spend six months at St Andrews. That's one of my yeah. regrets now, the, never doing a broad thing. Yeah, I think um, I, it was funny, like, when I when I moved to so I moved from Western Australia. I grew up as a kid in Western Australia, and I moved to Melbourne, and I started studying at the University of Melbourne. And I um I didn't kind of realise, but Melbourne Uni had this exchange program with the University of St Andrews, and it took me until my third year before I realised it actually was there. And then I remember looking online, and it said, you know, University of St Andrews, and I'm like, hold on a minute, like that's the St. Andrews, isn't it? Like in Scotland. And I looked it up and it was, but there was only one spot for an exchange. So I kind of looked, looked into it a bit more and applied and I just had my fingers crossed um, and eventually got that spot in there. And then that was the sort of the trip I planned. My first overseas, overseas trip I sort of planned was to go play some events before I went in and studied at St. Andrews and, um yeah so that was sort of the lead and i played those ones i sort of talked about just then like in the netherlands and in england and um, up in scotland and then had six months over in st andrews which was i mean the best it's actually the best deal in the world because you're effectively considered a town resident what they call a it's, it's a lynx ticket which is um it's a 200 pound pass for all seven courses of the St. Andrews Links Trust. So that includes like the old course, of course, and that lasts a year. So you play, you pay 200 pounds for a year's golf on unlimited golf on any of the courses, including the old course. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I made the most of that. I, I think I probably played the old course in, in over the six months, probably like, I'm going to say like, 30 times 25 times i don't know and then the new course a bunch and the jubilee and and the castle and all of them they're all really really good so that was pretty much a dream come true for someone like me i need to uh look up like graduate programs at university of san yeah <laughs> you know? yeah it's a good it's a good university i'm pretty sure they just got like they just got rated like number one in the uk for some list i don't know what it exactly was but it's where um uh the prince prince and kate uh yeah prince william and kate met i think yeah so 
it's a pretty like prestigious uni, but it's yeah, I mean, so, yeah, it's it's an unbelievable deal to to be able to do that. Were you playing golf at University of Melbourne then, and then? Yeah, back home, like college golf doesn't really exist in Australia. It's kind of disappointing. So all all, all the golf that I played has been outside of any um, university or college programs. So I've just the way it sort of works back home is you, you the guys that I'm kind of friendly with that sort of my age or a bit younger tend to to play their golf separate to any college affiliation. But we've got good state uh, sporting organisations that sort of run high-performance programs. And um, through those, it's kind of like a team training environment and and that's how the players get better um, in that that sort of way. So it's definitely a bit different to college. Um, So through my – I studied – um, engineering at uni and through that I kind of didn't really play any golf while I was actually at uni but I played it all on the side in the summers and played all my tournaments there's a good we've got a good amateur circuit in Australia we always get a few top players come down and they'll play like the March of the Amateurs Aussie Amateur and a few of the other big tournaments so yeah so since you graduate do you graduate when you're 22 ish yeah, so I did a I did a, started out doing a bachelor of science, which took three years. So I finished that when I was like twenty one, and that's that was when I was doing my exchange in the in the last year of that, and then when I finished that, I went straight in and started a an engineering master's degree because. Um, where I was studying at, at Melbourne, they didn't offer a Bachelor of Engineering. They only did the engineering programs through Masters. And I kind of always knew I wanted to do an engineering degree just because I, I was more of like a math, science kind of guy. And um, and so I kind of ended up doing another two years there. So I finished when I was 23, I think. Um, yeah, so I kind of took my time a bit doing it. I think I took an, I took an extra year than what was allocated it's normally a five-year program i took six so um yeah finished when i was 23 and then just sort of didn't really want to go into full-time work and felt like my golf was at a decent enough level that i thought i might be able to put a couple more years into it and maybe try a professional kind of route with it and that's sort of what i've been doing the last couple years and it's it's kind of it's been up and down but um the last last week's been pretty good so yeah <laughs> yeah that uh, that worked out well last week but uh yeah talk about how you've been you, you know most people would turn pro uh, immediately but you've stayed mm. amateur while you've been working on it and you've been like how, how yeah. what's your life looked like for the last two years yeah so i i i actually pretty much since finishing university i've I, I work at a golf driving range, the Melbourne Golf Academy, it's called. Um, it's a good driving range. I just work there. I do some caddying um, out of Royal Melbourne and Kingston Heath. So if any of your listeners come down and uh, need a caddy, they can just uh, look me up and I'll try and jump in the back. Um, but yeah, I, I do some caddying down there. We, we don't officially have like caddy programs, but there's like a sand belt caddy program that I'm part of and and um, and we sort of caddy all, all over the spot. Um, in Melbourne so um, I've been doing that and then uh, I got a, a friend of mine who's opening up a, another golf business that I'm going to be working for soon so 
Um, that'll probably be, I'll probably I'll potentially give up the driving range job to help him out. Um, but yeah, just sort of working a lot of nights and then throwing a few caddy shifts here and there in the, in the summers and then practicing my game. And, and I, I tried out the Australian to a school end of last year to try and get a card over here and I guess try and make a bit more money than what I was at, at my, my caddying and, uh, and driving range jobs. But, um, I made it to the final stage, but I, I missed out by two shots. So instead of turning pro, which was kind of the plan at that stage, I decided to hold off because I knew I'd, I'd be pretty close to getting a, a start in that mid amateur. Um, and then, cause I was I'd only turned 25 at the beginning of the year. So it was my first year eligible. So I figured I might as well wait for that and give that a crack and kind of paid off, I guess. <laughs> Did you did you have to qualify for the mid or did you uh, get a? I was exempt an exempt. Chance? Okay. Yeah, I was an exempt player based on the world amateur golf rankings. So I think they exempt thirty of the top ranked mid amateurs, and I was I came in at like the eleventh ranked mid amateur or something like that. So yeah, um, luckily didn't have to qualify because would have been a long trip for <laughs> for a little roll of the dice to try and get into it, but um. Yeah, that that was sort of the reason I came over was because mm-hmm. I was exempt. So, so you came over. It, the tournament was at uh, Colorado Golf Club and Common Ground, and uh, yeah. you came over a little early to get acclimated. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, Denver's it's at like a mile high, I think. So, um, I kind of I came in on would have been the, it was the ninth of September, which tournament didn't start till the fourteenth. So, I had five days or so before the tournament started but we couldn't get out to practice until the 12th uh well the 11th technically you could use the practice facilities but you couldn't play the courses till the 12th so i chatted to um a good friend of mine mike clayton who's been on the pod um and he uh he had a good con yeah clayton's yeah great guy um yeah he is um and he he got me out to Sand Hills in Nebraska, which I kind of thought, oh, it'll just be like, you know, a couple hours down the road or something like that. But it was a fair trip out there. It was a five-hour drive, but worth every second of driving out there because that place is, like, so cool. It, I, I loved it. It's funny because, like, of where it is. Like, you th- Yeah. I was, like, a couple of weeks ago, I was in, um, in eastern Nebraska, and I was looking mm. at the map and... I was talking to my buddy. I'm like, I might go to Sandhills. And he's like, what do you mean? You're like, mm. I'm like, I'm about as close as you can get, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It is literally in the middle of nowhere. Like Denver is as close as you yeah. can get, pretty much. Close to the yeah, airport think, as you can get. Yeah, I think Denver and is it Lincoln is the nearest in Nebraska. I don't know. It's like five hours either way, I think. Isn't it amazing yeah, driving into that place? Like you're just driving down the road and mm. you you look right and you look left and you just see golf holes yeah. that don't exist. Yeah, and, you, and, it, and every time you're around a crash, you're thinking, where's the ocean? Because <laughs> yeah. it looks like you're in like the sand dunes in Scotland. It looks identical. Um, yeah, it's it's such a cool place. And yeah, like like you said, like you're looking left and right and you're looking down there and you're like, you almost feel like you're going to drive off the road because you're, just seeing golf hole after golf hole, it's incredible. So, is it, you spent a few days there. I spent two. Well, I slept one night there, and I spent sort of two 
foolish sort of days. Um, so I played the course the afternoon I arrived and then, so the guy that Mike knew was the course superintendent. Yeah. <laughs> so I went out in the morning. Yeah. Carl Hegland. Um, so I went out in the morning and kind of had a chat with him cause I didn't say, I didn't catch up with him the night before and had a chat with him while he was sort of cutting the grains and stuff, which was pretty cool. Talked about it all. And yeah, that was, that was, I really enjoyed that getting up at sort of sunrise and having a walk around and having a look and taking some photos. It was, it was awesome. That place is, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. I'm, I'm convinced sunrise when the, when the grounds crew is out, it's like, mm. it's the best golf, best time to be on a golf course. Yeah. It's like yeah, so absolutely. peaceful and it's just, you know, it's so mm. neat. Um, yeah. How would you compare the way Sandhills plays to golf in Australia and then also in Scotland? I mean, the Sandhills there, I think it looks almost identical to what we have down on the Mornington Peninsula in Melbourne. So like courses like St. Andrews Beach and um, the Dunes and uh, Moonal Links and the National they're all on almost identical sort of topography and vegetation. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. Like when I was driving in, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like it feels like I'm a, like down, you know, by the dunes or any of those courses. So, um, it looks a hell of a lot like that's that that sort of golf. We probably don't have the quality of the course as good as um, Sandhills, but there's some pretty good golf down there in um, down the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria. But um. I mean, it plays very similar. Sandhills is full kind of fescue and, and our course is Bermuda fairways at least, um, bent grass grains. But, um, yeah, I mean, it plays very similar, firm, fast, uh, wind's always an element, um, and similar sort of look, aesthetics, bunkering, kind of that waste bunkering kind of look. So, it's um, yeah, it's very similar, I'd say. Yeah. So, so uh, after Sandhills, you head back. Mm. And then you, you mm. this first time playing at like major elevation. Yeah, I'd, I'd played it like I mean we we had one we've got a course in in Australia up in Canberra that there's always a tournament every year and that's maybe at like a thousand meters which is like three thousand feet so there's a slight noticeable like increase in distance that you hit it but Denver was a full sort of ten percent um, so all your numbers whenever you're doing them you. I rather than kind of adjusting my numbers for the week, I kind of just ran them backwards to what was my normal numbers and kind of worked off them. So like if it was 160, then I'd hit a, I'd, I'd take 10% off, which is 16 of 160. And then so it's 144 and just play that number. So that's sort of how I approached it. Um, but yeah, I definitely felt like that. I didn't know, like I didn't realize at first, but you just have to drink so much water and, so easy to get dehydrated and I had a headache for a bit and it's definitely like has an effect the elevation particularly yeah. like I'm at I've been at sea level my whole life so yeah I'm definitely took a while to get used to but yeah it's, yeah it's, I just got over it in the end I was out there a couple of weeks ago for a wedding and it's like mm. you know you go to a wedding and you the next morning you're just so dehydrated because like you know. yeah he's so dry in the mouth <laughs> it, yeah it's crazy it's nuts and the, and well if you were drinking alcohol as well you would have noticed it because i had a beer or two like on a couple of the nights and just felt hammered with yeah. about, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> a couple of sips 
Yeah, it's it's wild. So, it, it, did you did you notice the ball like go straighter, or was yeah? That I did a... notice that. No, I, I agree with that. Like, I think I guess it's like there's less air resistance against it, so it kind of just like doesn't fizz as much with the wind with the spin and yeah, definitely you can you notice like if you carve one offline, that might be like you feel like you just healed it or something. And it's should have cut like thirty yards offline. It only goes like twenty. Yes, you can you can definitely see it sort of floats up a bit more and doesn't crazy curve offline. Yeah, um, I heard. So I heard Colorado was playing like really firm. Oh yeah, it was it was perfect for me because like we play golf like that all summer. All our tournaments all summer are like that, especially the ones in Melbourne. The um, generally the I think the Aussie Amateur is in Melbourne every second year. So every second year will pretty much be on a sandbell golf course. Last year was at Woodlands Golf Club, which is one of those sort of under the radar kind of sandbelt tracks. Mm-hmm. And and that, I mean, it was exactly like that. You know, greens rolling at 12 or 13 and, and fair bit of slope on them and then rock hard greens that you have to, like a 9-iron, you got to account for like six, seven yards of roll or bounce and roll. and even if you're coming in as high as you can, like it's still going to roll out heaps. So it kind of made it, it was the process of calculating yardages because you had the 10% with the um, with the, uh, the elevation of the, the site. So you kind of go with that with those numbers. So say that 160 number again, you go, okay, that's 144. And then it's so, and then you go, okay, it's going to roll out like six. So that's like carrying 138. And then it might be uphill plus four or something. So then it's like 142. And then you're like, oh, wind. That might be like into the wind. Like, and you think it's like 10. So then you, it, there was so much to think about, um, which is obviously, um, I guess, makes it more interesting, I think, when you've got, to, you've got to think about what you're doing a bit more. Do you feel like that playing in that firm conditions was a big advantage? Obviously, like, you know, most of mm. American golf is not firm and fast. Yeah. No, I think I actually think it was a pretty it was a pretty big advantage because yeah, I mean Royal Melbourne, you're doing the exact same things whenever you're playing there. You never whatever number you shoot with your laser, you're always like it's always different. It doesn't matter what. So um you yeah, you're never carrying it to the pin at Royal Melbourne. So having a lot of experience playing that sort of golf, I think. And golf where you really have to think about where you are gonna hit it to because there was a lot of short side misses as well at Colorado because they were so firm and fast. If you did miss it in a spot that, you know, a bunker that was, you know, short-sided to a pin or where the green ran away from you or in the rough somewhere where you just couldn't miss it, like you really had to think about where those misses were and 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 I guess even from the tee sometimes had to think about, you know, how you avoid that miss by hitting it somewhere off the tee. So, um yeah, it was a lot to think about. There was a really good, um, the 16th hole was really interesting. It was a split fairway hole, which is kind of always like you can either nail it or you can just screw it up because, you know, either everyone goes one way or, you know, or they get it right and some people go both ways. Um, and I think I think they got it pretty good because pretty much everyone I played with were going down the wide route, which is down the left and hitting probably driver. But the angle into that green as a par five was so poor that you just couldn't hold the green with the with the firmness of them and the speed. You just couldn't hold the green from the left left fairway. 
Whereas if you went down the right, it was only a three wood and it was a shorter route in and you played more across the green. So it wasn't running steeply away from you and you could hold like a seven iron or six iron against it. Um, and I went down the right my last two rounds. It, and I won. Almost as like a Redan slope from the right. Where it pretty much, yeah. Like you. the Redan, it pretty much pretty much looks like a Redan from the right fairway, and then from the left fairway, it looks like you're just playing straight down. Like a like imagine a Redan, you're just playing straight down from the left of a Redan. Yeah, but you just dead. can't stop it. Yeah, exactly. So it's um yeah, it was effectively like that, and I played down the right both times, like hit good three woods and hit I think a six iron and a five iron in, and made birdie both times against Stewart, and then in the last round against joe so um i guess playing that strategy of taking a more aggressive tee shot which was a bit narrower and um, a bit harder to hit the fairway on paid off for me so i, I found that interesting is it, it, it I, th- I you know i'm looking at the hole i haven't been out there um i'm looking yeah. at the hole and i feel like this is like a classic case of like an example where you know it's, it's way wider left right but yeah if you look at the right and like exam, if you just take away the left, like if you just put that fairway mm. on any other golf hole, people would be like, "Oh, that's fine. It's just like you just have to lay up yeah. to the right." And, and then yeah, exactly. It. And it's like it's funny how like just the giving somebody a wider option, they're always going to take it, mm. even though like mm. if that if you just took away the left side of the fairway and made that everybody would hit it there and have no problem with it. Yeah. I really wanted to get Scott Fawcett's opinion of it because he he was playing this week. Yeah, so it would have been interesting what he said because I'm sure he would have said go left. But For sure. When when you play it, it's like hold on a minute. Like when you see the firmness of that green and the slope, which you can't see from an aerial, you go okay. Like the right is definitely better. I think anyway. But it's, I would have yeah, yeah. It's I mean yeah because and especially with it being a par five, I imagine like if you don't mm. hit a great drive. You're just laying up, mm. you know? Yeah, exactly. And- yeah, I hit it in one of the rounds. I hit it like, so the middle of the fairway is like a little creek. Yeah. But you can kind of get on the banks of it. And I just went down the, I hit it down the middle. I like pulled it and caught the bank. So it was kind of lucky it didn't roll it in the creek. And I just hit like a nine iron out. But the wedge shot in was so, so hard. Like the pitch shot that I had to hit in. Like you actually had to nail the pitch shot or you could even wedge it off the green. Like, so it kind of made sense to go right, I think. And then, have the opportunity to go for it because if you're playing as a three shotter down the which a lot of people seem to do they'd go left and then they'd play it as a three shotter it just you still had you still had nothing with that wedge shot in it's, yeah it's interesting it reminds me a little bit mm. there's a hole like it at uh sand valley but it's kind of flipped the other way yeah okay um yeah. so it's it's interesting it's it, the corn mm. crenshaw definitely have some like holes that they use yeah, over they love over, that like that boomerang pitch. yeah they love the boomerang that that that, that uh, colorado that the 14th hole was boomerang green mm-hmm. actually in the final round it was, it was quite cool it was a drivable par four so kind of like the eight at sandhills i think it's the same yep um yeah so drivable i hit it i had a three wood i could get a three wood there because it's a little bit downwind and i hit like a great shot but i've hit it to the left left boomerang to a right pin like front left to a front right pin so completely it looks like i'm completely screwed and um i kind of walk around and i'd sort of heard somewhere where core said you know 
every time there's always a way to kind of get it around. Yeah. And I kind of looked at it and aim I, away I, to I get it close. At, yeah, exactly. And I looked and I'm like, hold on. Yeah, I actually can get this like pretty close. So we went down there um, with my caddy and we sort of walked around it. And I looked at if I got it close enough to the bunker, there was almost like a like a little valley where you could feed it in, like just on the edge of the trap where it wouldn't wouldn't roll into the trap either. It would just kind of like feed into this this little valley trench kind of around the lip of the bunker. And I just rolled it in there perfectly and it went down to about five feet. And like the crowd couldn't believe it, obviously, because they just thought I was dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, that was a cool shot to be able to play um, and made dirty and halved the hole with, with Joe. So, yeah, that was that was really cool. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's so it, curious. I I think this all mm. the time. Sometimes I think it hurts me. Sometimes I think it helps me. <laughs> Do you think you're you're obviously have a keen interest in golf architecture? You're a you're mm. a golf golf magazine panelist. You know you've played mm. a lot of great places. You you know play on the sand belt, and you mm. know you understand the the principles of architecture. Do you think it helps you as a good player understanding architecture? Um, I think, I think it can, I kind of, I feel like I try to understand architecture and then I kind of try to, in the same vein, kind of understand what makes you play good golf. And I think they kind of, they cross over like, like faucet stuff kind of makes sense. I I like faucet stuff, the decade Mm -hmm. stuff, like I'm interested in it. And, um, I think a lot of his stuff's correct, but, um, they, they definitely overlap in parts to making making you play better i think but i haven't really thought about it too much um it def- what, what definitely hurts is when you have to play a terrible golf course which um luck- luckily like in amateur golf we'd actually don't play too many terrible golf courses we play much better golf courses than most of the tour tours play i think that's, a, that's um, one of my favorite ogilvy things was he was like yeah when mm. i was uh when I was coming up, I was, you know, I was playing all the great amateur events, and mm. and then I turned pro, yeah. and I'm playing in Germany and all the, and I'm like, these places are complete yeah. shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not really, you know, if, if the pro career does take off and I, you know, turn pro and all that, I'm kind of not looking forward to that that aspect of it. It'll be interesting because I haven't really had to play that much shitty golf <laughs> in my life. It's been all pretty lucky, pretty. Uh, pretty good stuff it's, it's funny i i kind of like enjoy playing tournaments on golf courses that offend me it's like i have like the, yeah, a little bit of that where the you know it's right in front of you it makes it really easy yeah and, you know it, yeah. it just becomes execution yeah and you kind of i suppose you probably appreciate the good stuff more if you play some of the bad stuff as well yeah so it's kind of a bit of bit of that too now for a quick word from our sponsor Fall temperatures are here in the Midwest uh, this morning. Just this morning, it was about a crisp 55 degrees when I uh, woke up and recorded this podcast. And, uh, you know, it makes taking the dog out for a walk a little bit more thoughtful. And one of the great things that I've found for on the course those crisp mornings is zero restrictions line of vests. Uh, They're all really great. I've got three different models, and I can't say enough good things about them. They are the absolute perfect layering option for these fall mornings. And uh, one of the nice things about the ZR vest is is they can dress up really well, and, and they can be 
a good look for going to the office as well. A, you know, a button down with the uh, vest over it. It's a great look. I would definitely check out the ZR vests. We're going to be handing out ZR vests at the Thoroughbred R event in Aiken in October. Um, so we love the uh, ZR vest collection and definitely worth checking out at zerorestriction.com. Now back to our conversation with Lucas Michel. You went to Australian Q school. Obviously now mm. you've, got, you've got some pretty good exemptions coming up. What are the plans? I, I assume you're staying amateur for yeah. uh, the time being, playing the Masters and U.S. Open. Yeah, yeah, I'm staying am obviously until the um, till the after the U.S. Open, um, and then I kind of kind of depends if I play really if I say a lead, leading am or something like that in the or in the Masters and U.S. Open, it kind of opens a few doors for a professional career. Mm-hmm. um for sure um but i don't know it's kind of it's all sort of up in the air i don't like i do want to turn professional eventually that, that was always a goal of mine as a kid was to you know i always dreamt of playing professional golf um but the more i play amateur golf the more i kind of love it um but at the same time i've got a good degree as well so if i don't kind of make it as a golfer i probably i don't know if i can see myself as a career amateur that kind of that kind of lifestyle doesn't really exist that much in australia Mm -hmm. that career amateur sort of mid-am you know crumb cup kind of you know um circuit life doesn't really exist in australia too much so yeah i'll probably i think i probably will give pro golf a crack um after after all that's done next year and and try to make something of my golf. I mean, do you I'd say that's pretty likely. Talk about a nice lineup. You get Augusta, you get Wingfoot, mm. and if you stay for mm. the USAM, you get Bandon. Yeah, Bandon as well. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a shame because I get I get actually two years exemption to the um to the USAM, so I could play Oakmont the following year too if I wanted to. But yeah, I can't really see myself staying um staying out of that long, unfortunately. But I mean. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good little lineup. I'm going to be playing, I think, the Aussie Open as well, um, which is at the Australian Golf Club in Sydney. Which is, you know, it's a it's a good golf course, but it's a great event. Yeah. Um, and then uh, got a bunch of tournaments here in the summer, just amateur stuff. Australian Master of the Amateurs, which next year is at um, Victoria Golf Club, which is obviously a really good sandbelt club. Used to be at. Um, Used to always be held at Royal Melbourne, but with the Presidents Cup and all that, I think they've moved it this year for the um, to Victoria, which is just across the road. Just got and Victoria's just done. Yeah, they just did a big um, Ogilvy Clayton Cock and Mead OCCM. They did a big um, greens replacement sort of program. They had they had Poana greens for ninety years, like, and they were never quite up to the standard of all the other Sandbelt clubs. So. They did. They replaced all those with a new bank grass, and they did some design tweaks to some of the ones that have been tweaked over the years by other architects, just to get them back to, I guess, what they were supposed to be like when they were first built. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I've played it a couple of times since it opened, and and that'll be that'll be really good. And then the Australian Amateurs up in uh, Queensland at Royal Queensland Golf Club, um, which is a really good track. Actually, it's like a 
it's an, another Ogilvy Clayton course. They redesigned it in like 2008 or nine, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I'm looking forward to that. I've not played a, that one, um, but it looks really fun. Um, and then I think I'm in the Vic Open as well, which is a pretty cool event. That's a, it's, I think, I think it should be still an LPGA the slash European tour. Yeah, they run them, run the LPGA and the European tour event. Same, same. So it's a 36 hole venue. So same courses um, over the same. You same mentioned days. it earlier. So the beach, cool. the beach course down in Mornington, right? Yeah. Well, that so this one's actually the Bellarine Peninsula. So there's the Mornington Peninsula and the Bellarine Peninsula, and they both hook around Melbourne. The Bellarine's on the west side, which is where Thirteenth Beach and um, both courses there are, and like Barwon Heads is another one out there, and um, Port Ferry is kind of more further down the road. Um, yeah, so Thirteenth Beach is the host of those, which is the Bellarine Peninsula, which is, I mean, it's another course that looks quite a bit like sand hills in nebraska to be honest um a little bit flatter though and um it's a good really good track actually 36 hole track um yeah so that'll, that'll be really good to be part of that i've played that tournament played it a couple uh played it twice before a few years ago um before it kind of got big before it got a europe european to a status i got in um but it'll be good to play it with a much stronger field uh, for next year uh, so back to the mid-am, I was just mm. thinking, obviously, like, winning has a lot riding on it. Um, mm. When when did you feel like thinking ahead became, like, a big thing that you had to stop yourself? You always hear people talk about staying in the present, yeah. and obviously, like, you... Yeah. Like, well, at what point were you... Where did it really... Like you start to think like, if I win this, I get to play in the masters. I get to, you know? Yeah. So from the start of the week, I had like a, it was kind of a good sort of outlook on it because if I didn't win based on my performance in the Australian tour school the year before, I still had a bunch of events. I could play as a pro at the end of this year. And then if I did win, I was playing the masters. So it was kind of like a positive, positive sort of situation. So in the first few rounds of match play, I kind of wasn't really thinking about winning. Like I was kind of just like, oh yeah, I'll like keep playing and playing well and kind of keep getting through. And then like when I was like a couple down, I was like, eh, no, this is okay. And like didn't really take it too seriously, to be honest. Like I was taking it, I was playing as well as I could, but in terms of like the consequences of playing poorly, I was like not really thinking too much about it. And then it was really when I got got to the quarters and then the semis, I started thinking, okay, like, hold on, like, you've got a really good chance here to to win this tournament and get get all the everything that comes with it. And then that's sort of when I had to take that in a positive way to sort of make me play better rather than potentially make me play worse. So I kind of had to use that as an incentive to play well rather than also like be mindful of it affecting my performance in a negative way so the night before the final i i was obviously getting quite a few messages of good luck and that sort of stuff (laughs) but i did not touch my phone that night i just like refused to touch it because i just felt like any extra kind of you know messaging someone to say thanks or whatever was just gonna kind of put extra pressure on myself in me realizing the magnitude of what i was sort of about to do potentially so 
yeah, I didn't, I didn't touch my phone the night before. Thankfully, I was staying with a family, sort of friends of friends, um, and they didn't know anything about golf. They knew I was in the final, but they kind of didn't realize the magnitude of it either. So I just sort of had a nice dinner with them, had a chat, and then tried to get an early night and went off at you know nine nine o'clock to bed and kind of actually slept pretty well because I wasn't really overly stressed because yeah the family I was with really just sort of didn't really realize what was happening. <laughs> I was I was going to ask uh, you know like being an Australian, hey, everybody's mm-hmm. got obviously all the Americans probably had buddies there you know you know people mm-hmm. from your state golf association or other tournaments. Yeah, were you did you have any friends there early in the week? So there was really only one person I knew in the whole field, and it was a. American guy, his name's Bull Davenport. He's from um, he's from Florida. He's a pretty he's a good player. He went to um, he went to Yale, had a pretty good college career up at Yale, mm-hmm. and then he went into work. He works for Boston Consulting Group, but he went he did a transfer down into um, to Melbourne the Melbourne office in 2017, 2018. and he came down and played a couple amateur events down there. And I actually met him playing one of our small sort of uh, local circuit events and we hit it off really well when he was down there and then when I went over uh, last year I caught up with him because he was doing grad school up in Philly we went and played Philly cricket together um, and uh, and yeah hit, kept, like kept hitting it off and and then so when he when I got into the mid-am he also qualified through a like a whatever you call them you know the the, the normal qualifiers he qualified in through one in philly so he was the only guy i knew in the field um but he kind of introduced me to to a few guys that were playing the event we played practice rounds together and then he made the match play actually and he he played Stu hagerstad in the first round um he lost like four and three to Stu, and i was i was carrying my bag all week i carried it um First two rounds of stroke play, you know, stroke play rounds, and then I carried it first round of match play as well. When when Will got knocked out, he he said, "Oh, you can't be carrying your bag. Come on, man!" <laughs> so I, yeah, he he jumped on the bag for the um for the rest, and um, yeah, I was I was going to probably get a caddy from about the quarters, but then he offered up, and I said, "Oh yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome." And yeah, that had and, to be yeah. Awesome. I mean, yeah, it was, he's really good. He he was so good on the bag, so much fun. Um, I don't know if you saw the celebration at the end. Yeah, there's a video on Twitter, but we had a pretty good celebration at the end. But um, there was actually more to that. I don't know if you heard about the last hole, what happened there. What I saw, down. I saw that. I, I saw what mm. went down. Explain this for the listeners that didn't. Yeah, didn't see the story. So there was. So the more I thought, the more I think about it now, the more I'm like, hold on a minute. Like this guy was definitely trying to do something like a bit dodgy here so joe deraney um who i played um we got to the 35th hole so two holes to play and it was dormy in my favor so two up with two to play and then we both hit the green i hit it to 30 feet 30 feet i putted up to about three feet he had a 12 footer which if he hold it was for birdie and we went to the 18 obviously because he won that hole if he missed, then I would have to hold my three-footer to halve the hole and win the, win the event. Well, when he missed his 12-footer, he sort of took off his hat and started walking over towards me. 
and I'm I'm thinking like, gee, that's a gen- generous give- gimme that he's given me here. But I'm also thinking, hold on, like, what's going on? So he comes over, extends out his hand and said, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said, like, like I'm making you putt this or, or something along those lines, like, like it's not a gimme kind of thing, but good luck, kind of like shaking my hand as if like, yeah, good luck kind of thing rather than like, yeah, thanks, good game. And um, and mean, meanwhile, like the USGA official basically thinks it's done. So he's running over with the trophy like towards me. And then I have to go like, oh, wait, uh, no, 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 no. Like he's like, he's saying, no, 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 no. It's like, it's not, it's not good. It's not good. I've, to, I've got to putt this. So that's like, like wave him off. And then I'm like, oh, all righty. <laughs> like, shit, like this is a bit weird. That's so strange. Yeah. I mean, so like you take your hat off. Yeah. Well, apparently Joe explained it to the USGA guys because the USGA guys obviously asked him afterwards and he said, oh, like I just got confused by the situation or something like that was his explanation. But like the way he spoke to me about it seemed like he kind of knew what he was doing, but I don't know if he just said that to, I don't know. Anyway, to me, it seemed like he was trying to maybe create something, a bit of, you know, a bit of confusion himself to maybe put me off a little bit. That that was my impression, but I don't know if that was his intention. Jeez, that's really weird. I mean, like, I can't, mm. I can't think of it. It's almost like icing yeah. a kicker. Like, it's so out of, like, yeah. it's not like he took his hat off and said that before any other putt, right? No, no, exactly. It was so weird. So it'd be interesting. That there was camera crew out there. They weren't recording it live for Fox um sports or anything like that but there there was a camera crew out there so i'm assuming there's going to be like some sort of condensed sort of package of the of the final so it'd be interesting if they i'd love to see see it again because it was really weird i'm sure he he definitely took off his hat and he definitely shook my hand (laughs) so um yeah it'll it'll be interesting to watch what it looks like um if they if they end up putting it up man that's strange yeah it it's was like really one weird, of the but oddest things I've heard in a match. Yeah. So, so then I've got three feet to to win effectively, and I'm like shitting myself because kind of I would have been shitting myself anyway, but um, I've kind of had a few extra minutes to sort of think about it all, and thankfully I just sort of rolled in the right edge, kind of snuck it in there, and and then that was the celebration with Will where I just ran over to him, kind of kind of brushed uh brushed joe off a bit <laughs> and just i'd already shaken his hand though so that yeah. was okay um, <laughs> ran over to will and had a good hug and yeah celebration with him so that's yeah. uh that's crazy i, I mean mm. standing over that putt i mean you probably were just uh yeah i was trembling like my my hand like i was yeah i was about as nervous as i've ever been for sure because Every every as much as I'd been able to kind of uh, block everything out before that, it, it's got to become real at some point, and that's that's when it came came pretty real when I had to hold three footer for the for the Masters invite. So yeah, it's, it's uh it's that's crazy. Um, you say I mean you mm. were you were down in both those matches, kind of in the. In the final match, you were down three, and then in, Stu, yeah. in the match with Stu, you were down big early. Yeah, it's a you know did you yeah. did you feel like uh, the being down almost like locked you in a little bit more? Yeah, and I think I, I didn't. I certainly didn't mind being down for the final because I think it's hard. It's 
it's it's hard to lead all day. It's there's I just feel like there's more there's more to lose. You feel like you're you feel like you're in a position to lose rather than a position to win. So kind of didn't mind being down most of the day in the final. Um, I was actually early against you. And he fought back and then got it. I think he got it back to square or maybe one up in his favor in the back nine. Um, but he kind of just made made a couple of pretty silly mistakes, particularly on 17. He just completely misclubbed, I think, on 17 in the semi final and dumped one in the water. So, um, yeah, but it was, I didn't mind coming from yeah, a position of sort of having almost nothing to lose in, in you know, coming from a couple back. So, um, it kind of worked for me all week. There was a lot of rounds where I came from behind. So, yeah. Uh, so I was texting with a, a mutual buddy and he, he mm. mentioned that, you know, your, uh, your, your golf career might've been saved by not getting a, a job as a, as a growing consultant at a, at a, uh, at a golf yeah. architecture project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Actually. Who, I'm interested who, uh, who spoke to you. That uh, is, but, um, Mike Cocking. So, Okay, yeah, that's that's quite funny. Yeah, so they're doing a project up at Port Lonsdale. It's a it's a new sort of a new golf course, and I in the last year I'd sort of I'd sort of I, I was planning to do the tour school, but then I was also pretty interested in my golf architecture. And my golf had been I'd had sort of like a rough year with my golf. I'd had a fair fair bit of success early with my um, with my amateur golf taking it full time like I won a decent tournament early on and then about yeah probably a year later I hadn't really hadn't really hadn't really picked up it's sort of been all kind of sort of mediocre results and then this came up and I was chatting to Mike Clayton about it because they, they work together and I sort of talked about it and and it seemed like it was a, it was a contract so it was only like 12 months I think and I sort of thought well, that would kind of be a cool thing to just try and see if I, I like it because I've always been interested in the golf architecture. Um, and if I could just try it, you know, it's a 12-month contract. It's, it's, you know, it's just completely um, once the 12 months up, you're sort of done. Um, there's no like, uh, yeah, no time. Like you don't have to stay on really. And um, I figured I'd just try it out, but obviously uh, I didn't, didn't get the role. <laughs> um, probably worked in in my favor now looking back on it but um yeah it would have been a cool thing to to, to understand and and all that but um yeah i missed out unfortunately <laughs> um yeah that's a it's a blessing in disguise that's like life you know yeah it's almost yeah. like it, you know you miss you what? missed australian q school by a couple yeah, shots exactly. and it, it works out it's funny how exactly works. yeah it is funny so uh, yeah, you never know what's going to be around the corner so uh You've got obviously kind of a busy schedule. You're you caddy at Royal Melbourne. Any uh, any mm. thoughts on the Presidents Cup? Has anybody reached out to you about caddying or helping <laughs> with the event? Uh, not not really, to be honest. Yeah, I I I would. Yeah, I, to be honest, if someone said, "Yeah, doing a caddy for so and so," I'd be like, "Yeah, hundred um, percent." But yeah, nothing yet. I, although I did, I did say, you know, you get your random people on Twitter saying, oh, they should choose Lucas as the captain's pick because his caddy's there and all this. I'm like, okay, calm down. Like, <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to definitely go watch it. Um, 
definitely be out there watching. I hope they, I hope, that, I mean, the course is so short. Like it's, I don't know what it is. It's probably like 6,200 meters, which is like 6,800 yards. It's like so short for those guys. So it'll be interesting how it plays. Um, I'm sure the greens will be firm and fast and, you know, scoring will, it'll still be pretty low, but it'll at least be interesting to watch with the firmness of the greens and, and the speed. And the fairways are so wide that guys will not, not kind of know, not know what to do, I think. Um, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think that it'll be really cool to watch because you'll see so many of those in-between holes where it's like you can push driver mm. up to 30 mm. yards, but do you really want to do that? Should you lay yeah, back? Yeah, my favorite it? one of those is, yeah, it, my favorite one of those is the third on the West Coast, which is probably, it's kind of it comes in at a shit point in the round because I think it's the first, I think it's the first of the composite. Mm-hmm. for the presence cup and it's like normally when we play it if i'm just playing it with friends it's just like a driver to get it in like the swale short of the green um and from there you've got like a pretty okay chip but they play they're going to be playing a tee a little bit further back which is better because they've just added that in so they'll ha- they'll have the option of either hitting like uh iron or three wood to kind of give themselves maybe 80 or 90 yards where they can put a bit of spin on it or they can hit a driver, but if they hit a driver, they've got a really awkward pitch to a green that completely runs away from them that they can't get any spin into. Um, so if you're hitting driver, you've actually got to go really far right off the tee, which the green's tucked around the left. You've got to go so far right to try and get the angle in to almost hit so the green's not completely running away from you, so it's more like hitting sideways into it. Kind of like that hole that um, I was telling you about at Colorado. Yeah. Um, so that'll, that'll be interesting how they play that because that, that is a new tee since like, it was their last time. But um, it's a shame it, it's the first hole because I feel like they'll all just hit iron or something. But, um, yeah, that, that's one of my favourites. And then, I mean, there's a bunch of holes that they don't actually play. There's a very similar hole on the on the property on the west course, number 14, which isn't part of the com- composite layout. And that that hole's great because if, if you kind of aim straight at the green, and which sort of veers you into the right rough, you've just got no shot from the right rough. You just can't hold the green. Whereas you've got to hit it out as far left as you can, almost up against the tea tree, which is right where Jeff Ogilvy lives actually in that tea tree. <laughs> he lives about from that tea tree is about 10 meters across is his back backyard. Um, that's the perfect angle in. It would have been better but if he was living in the tea tree, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe he does. I don't know. <laughs> just sitting there watching golf yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, Uh, but yeah that's one of the great holes there it'll be really cool to watch i uh Mm. i want to come down for that but i i don't want to come down when i can't play the golf course so selfishly i'm probably gonna delay yeah till after i don't know when yeah are you gonna because you you know you've, you've not really you've seen so much in america but you I mean, there's still so much probably to see, but you've never really been out, have you? Have you been no. to play golf in Scotland or Australia or anything like that? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm like an American. I'm just an American golfer. I, I, you know, mm. there's this is the hard thing. There's so much to see, and there is. I kind of felt like yeah, kind of crazy. There was a void in American golf coverage of, in terms of you know what, uh, yeah, you know, just good golf courses to see that don't get a ton of pub. So it's like. 
but mm. go, I got to go for personal reasons. I got to go because, uh, okay. you know, you have to have like the ability to relate stuff back. It's like anything. Yeah. You probably see it. Like you go yeah. and you play a course and you're like, oh, this reminds me of this hole at this place. Yeah. And there's yeah, so much of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of like, I mean, all those old architects, they all went to Scotland and studied the Scottish courses and the holes. It's kind of like you kind of got to do it. It's just you, you, know, you got to see it. where everyone got their inspiration from. Yeah, and so, then and then in Australia, you got to see how how different it is and how it's still so cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping uh, New Zealand, Australia this winter, mm. and then uh, oh, awesome, and then uh, a, a heavy dose of the UK next year. So it'll be uh, oh, that'll be good. Inter- international bound, you know. Yeah, can't can't, cool. can't be a can't be a fraud for much longer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you you thought about uh, next year with the uh, who's going to be on the bag for Masters? Well, Will is the the guy that caddy for me. So before that final round, we'd we'd sort of talked about it. I don't know if he brought it up or if I brought it up or whatever, <laughs> but because like we were sort of at some point we started talking about on the day before like caddying and stuff in the, in the masters and all that. And then I told him on, on the semi or the quarter, I said, Oh, well, look, I haven't committed to anyone yet. And I said to him, like, you're right up there kind of thing. Like <laughs> it's been going great kind of thing. <laughs> and then, um, and then with the success I had in the semi, I think I thought about it that night and I was like, you know what? Like he's been so great. Uh, he's a good friend. I get along with him. Well, we, we were on similar wavelengths. So the next day I, I told him, you know, in the morning I said, you know, I made up my mind. We're going to Augusta, so let's just get this done. And um, You, you and, yeah. played to the karma too. You had to. I mean, the guy stayed. Yeah. Stopped. Yeah, I know. He didn't that go to work. As well. <laughs> yeah, he saved me like, you know, 100 US around as well, you know, with a local caddy. So, yeah, it was, you know, he, he, he played it well himself. And uh, I played it well too, so um, it all worked out net positive for both of us. So, yeah, that that'll be awesome. And then you were wearing a yeah. wing, wingfoot shirt, so <laughs> yeah. you've seen it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so I played wingfoot. I played it last year because I went up. Uh, I was in the New York area because I think I did a USAM qualifier up there. It wasn't the one at Whipper I did one at Whippoorwill this year. No, I did that this year at Whippoorwill. I'm trying to think while I was there. I think I was up there for a qualifier. Um, where did I do it? It might have been the oh, one you one, Essex. Yeah. It might have been the one you emailed me yeah. about. No, I sh- I try to get into that one. Yeah, no, I try to get into the Essex one, but it booked out so quickly. I ended up doing one at like a Fazio course up there that was like pretty average. But um, but that was that was where I w- went and played wing foot. Um, and yeah, so I had that. I picked up that that jumper that um sort of violet kind of lavender colored thing that i was wearing in the morning um and it was cold i only brought two jumpers so sweaters jumpers whatever you want to call them with me um and i wore the 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 green one the day before and it kind of didn't kind of clashed with what i was planning to wear in the (laughs) in the final round so i had to put the wing foot one on which was a bit of a flex if i'm honest to (laughs) yeah to to the guy i just like i am but um, he was wearing Joey. Uh, Joe was wearing a uh, 
an RBC Canadian Open jacket because he played there like a month before, so or whatever it was. So he was flexing as well. So yeah, what do you think? What do you think of Wingfoot? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really good. Yeah, it's. I mean, I hadn't seen it before. Gil had done the work, but so I I saw a lot. Oh, yeah, twenty eighteen or whatever. So I mean, it's it's awesome. Yeah, I, I loved it. Um, I think uh, the guy I played with sort of showed me what they'd done, like extending out the green pads so you got more sort of interesting pins in the corners and um, taking out a few trees and fixed up a few of the mowing lines. And I thought it was great. Yeah. I wanted to play the east though as well because that looked really interesting. That looks kind of like shorter, quirkier kind of. There's a good little path right in the trees that looked really cool as I was playing one of the holes. I can't remember. Yeah. Have you played Wingfoot? I played at the... Yeah, yeah, like a week ago. Um, awesome. The greens oh, are okay. so cool. Do you play both? Uh, just the just the yeah. west. I gotta play go east back. And west. I just I gotta just go back. West. Just the west. Yeah. Uh, but same thing. I, yeah, I, I want to play east when I get a chance. I was looking at the east. I was like, man, that looks really neat. You know, like a couple mm. of the par threes. That one. Yeah. The one that's right next to nine. Yeah. With no bunkers. Yeah, I think that was the one. I thought. yeah, just like raised green, like mounds all around. The shit. Yeah. I, there was yeah, it was a cool couple cool views around. I felt like, you know, it's Wingfoot's really cool because like if you play well, you can you can score out there. Mm, you yeah. know. But obviously yeah, I think you gotta I think you keep it in play off the tee, I think that's the biggest thing. The greens are pretty generous. They're pretty wide greens. And yeah, they're like you know, you can have some tricky putts across them if you're not accurate with your irons, but I felt like I drove it pretty good that day and didn't really struggle. Um, but I, I could imagine if you're hitting it into the rough and it's just got to be so hard to hit those greens um, from the rough. And Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I, it's, it's definitely, you got to hit, you got to drive it well out there. Yeah. That's like, yeah. Yeah. But you got to drive it every yes, well but, everywhere if you want to play. Yeah. Well. Especially, I mean, if, I mean, I know it's going to be U.S. Open conditions when I'm playing it, so the rough's going to be crazy. And yeah, it'll be interesting. So, so uh, obviously, you get the invitation. You you got to be planning a uh, Augusta trip before, right? Yeah, I, I think I'm not going to go like crazy, like, like super early or anything like that. You got a little bit of I a think flight I'll prob- to deal with too, right? Yeah, that's the issue. I'm like, I'm not. I'm I'm only going to get there early, like but not come back kind of thing. So I think I'll probably head there like mid, early, mid-March for a trip because mm-hmm. at least the course will be somewhat I don't know, representative of what it'll be like in a, a month later. Um, so I reckon I'm going to do an early-ish, yeah, mid, mid-early March trip, stay on because the, I think it's the Azalea Invitationals the week after, like sort of like yeah, late March. Yeah, Country Club, Charleston. Yeah, Country Club, Charleston. So I reckon I'm going to stay and play that. Because that finishes up on like about the 25th of March. And then I could have like a week and a half to kind of prep for uh, the Masters. Yeah, you should you should see Country Club Charleston. Yeah, I'm keen to see it. Yeamans too. And, uh, yeah. Ba- yeah. Palmetto's one I'd you should have... see that's close to. That's true, actually. I, I almost I almost played that this year, that really tournament. Really they they cool. got a good, good amateur tournament there. Yeah. It's a McKenzie. Mm-hmm. It's really, um, really neat. They've got um, actually, I played the the number four course at Pinehurst, and I think it's the, I say it's like the fifth 
hole, maybe the third hole, mm, no, fourth hole, I think, is a par three. Yeah. It's identical to that um, that hole at, at uh, Palmetto. Seven. I don't know, Palmetto it's a signature hole. Six, yeah, six, seven, seven, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that course yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, I really want to get out there. So I'll probably, yeah, I'll probably head there a fair bit early. Yeah, head to, um, head to the Azalea and then um, stay on and play a couple courses and head to Augusta. You'll be you'll be acclimated, you know? yeah. It'll be uh, but uh, yeah, hey, exactly. It's it's late there. I'm gonna let you go. You probably got some jet lag. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> thanks for coming on, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll no talk worries, soon. Yeah. We'll, we'll see you in uh, yeah. in, in the spring, if not earlier. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. If you want to get me on again, as a as I'm readying for the uh, <laughs> the event, I look forward to it. Yeah, next one will be in person. Maybe it'll be in Australia. Who knows? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Now, that'll be really good. Yeah. All righty. Yeah, well, I look forward to maybe hosting you out at Metro then. You've been listening to the Fried Egg Podcast. We do the digging for you.